Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Well, good morning. It is a good morning, right? New year, new things to put our hope and trust in. I'm so glad for our Savior Jesus, right? Now, I'm not going to focus on this, but many of you I know, because we've already talked about it, you were up late not to watch the ball drop, but many of you watched uh, a good game, right? Yeah. So we won't talk about that anymore, but it just is a reminder, right? Um, we we cannot lose sight of what is of most importance, right? And, uh, and while it's fun to watch a game, it's okay to be competitive. I'm so thankful it's okay to be competitive because uh, I would be sinning a lot uh, if it, competitiveness wasn't allowed. Um, we just have to keep that in check. And I feel like God just keeps humbling me in my 45 years of a Northeastern Ohio fan. I'd like somebody to do a study just to see how many close games we've lost over the course of the last 45 years and to see if there's any other city that's close to us. Um, but it is a joy to see each of you here this morning. Thank you for for making this a priority of coming and worshiping our Lord together. And uh, it, it's an awesome to be able to worship, to lift up our voice and to sing. It's awesome, great to be able to open up God's word together. And so if you would, would you turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 7. 1 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, as Andy shared, um, we head into a new year with a new theme and so uh, we will be talking more and more um, about faith and living uh, that faith life and what that looks like. Next week, I'll start a four-week series uh, entitled Faith Driven Stewardship. Faith Driven Stewardship. And so we'll look at the next four weeks in the, the month of January about, about that, what that looks like. How, how does our faith drive us in our stewardship? And I'm not just talking about money. I know there are some people who will hear stewardship and think right away that I'm talking about how we need more money and all that. It's not, it's not just money. It's about every area of our life. Because the truth is, God has called you and me stewards. And so we'll talk about that more. I won't start preaching about that. I got something else I want to share with you today. Before I do that, though, uh, I just want to share with you just a great blessing. You, you, of, of God's people here at West Hill. You know, we set out for our Christmas project um, for Pregnancy Solutions. And if you still feel like God is leading you to give, please do so. Uh, the Lord blessed us to be able to give, and we gave together over $20,000 to Pregnancy Solutions. Praise God. Amen. That's just uh, really awesome to me. Um, I have to admit, I really felt like we needed to lower the standard this year. And there was something about uh, my spirit that wasn't okay with that. But I felt like, okay, going back to that competitive nature, I didn't want to fail. Okay. You know, it's like, okay, I can shoot that shot. But if I know I'm going to miss, why am I going to shoot it? Um, so that mentality, you know, thinking about that as we went into this project so I just praise God for that and just ask that you continue to pray for Pregnancy Solutions and the ministry there as, as they continue to share uh, the, the gospel and also reaching uh, women and uh, men uh, 
and saving lives, saving children. And so we look forward to continuing to hear about that ministry in the new year and just want to praise God with you uh, for his um, provision in that way. So here we are, January 1st. Doesn't happen very often. Um, we're on a Sunday and we get to look at this new year ahead. Uh, and, and yet we get to look at a year behind us too, having just completed 2022. And so I've entitled today Reflection because it's one of those things that I think is really good for us. And I struggle with stopping and pausing long enough uh, to actually reflect versus just continuing to do and move. Um, okay, I saw that mistake, let's go fix that. Or this is what I feel we need to accomplish and moving forward. And just to stop and pause and just to reflect. I don't know if you've ever had this opportunity where you've, uh, where you've been, where a big lake or a body of water is, and it's really still. Um, and you can, as you stand there or sit there and you're looking at it, it's reflecting everything that's the background. It reflects like a double image and, and the beauty of that and that stillness. I remember several times when we've been up to Canada on our, our leadership trips and, uh, just at sometimes those moments where you're sitting there and, and there's, there's, there's just this beauty of seeing that reflection of God's creation. And you look out and you see the mountains and the trees and there on the water, it's just reflecting that. And, and, and it's just a beautiful, peaceful um, scene. Uh, you've probably reflected this morning my reflection wasn't as beautiful as that, but I looked in the bathroom mirror, right? And, uh, and was scared and was like, Lord, help me. I need to fix something here. Can you help me figure this out? And uh, that's one of those things as you get older, you have these, these things that start happening in your hair. And, you know, they're, they change colors, but you try to hide them, you know? And so sometimes you wake up and you're like, all those gray hairs are like right out in front. And then they're going every which way. And then like you're trying to comb your hair in such a way that I don't know that it helps, but all this light doesn't reflect off, you know? So you're, you're reflecting, you're looking in the mirror saying, okay, this is what I look like. How can, how can I make my appearance look best? Now this morning, I want to encourage you not that we look at the outward, but that we look on the inward this morning as we reflect about the year past. To be able to look at our lives and to say, okay, this is where we are. This is where we've been. Where does God desire for the future? So this takes us to this passage in 1 Samuel. And I want to read uh, through the first few verses of this chapter. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 14. And so um, we'll read through it and then we'll talk through it. And, and I'll give you a little context here uh, of what's going on. But let's read. And why don't you do this? I know it was a long night. Why don't you stand with me if you're willing and able as we read the word. Let's stand together. First Samuel chapter 7 and I'll read verses 1 through 14. It says, And the men of kirith Jerem came and took up the ark of the, of the Lord and brought it to the house of the Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eleazar to have charge of the ark of the Lord. From, that, from the day that the ark was lodged in kirith Jerem, a long time time passed some 20 years and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel said to the house of Israel, 
If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtarod from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpath, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpath and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpath. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpath, the Lord of the Philistines went up against Israel. When the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God, for he is with us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Misphat and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Misphat and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the day of Samuel. Cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath, and Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. And there was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we can open it and study it. And I just pray as we dig in here, Lord, that you would help us to not only be able to see it, but Lord, to hear the word of God, to know how it translates to us then living out the word of God. So take it today, make your word alive and active in our hearts and our minds that we may be changed people because we've had a real encounter with the living God. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as we talked about the mirror, let me go back a little bit. Um, Israel has had quite the issue as we look at 1 Samuel. Samuel is writing for us, and Samuel, uh, we know a little bit of his history. Part of his history was uh, here was his mother who was unable to have a child, and, 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 and she said to God, if you give me a child, a son, I will devote him to you. And so Samuel became that. Um, he was there working in the temple, serving in the temple with Eli and Eli's sons. Well, Eli had gotten old and, uh, and he was uh, a rather large man, the Bible tells us. He was overweight. Uh, I think he failed in a lot of different areas. And one of the areas that he failed to do was to oversee his sons. His sons, as people brought sacrifices in, uh, the priests were allowed to take a three-pronged fork and, and as the, the sacrifice was being uh, cooked, uh, boiled, uh, they were allowed to take a, that prong and to take out the meat as after it was being cooked. 
but uh, Eli's boys knew that they were missing out. And so they would take the prong and they would say, we want a portion of your meat before we cook it. And if you don't give it to us, then there will be consequences. And so they, uh, they, they really were stealing uh, and, and in the temple. And Eli knew this, and yet he didn't, he didn't do a whole lot. Uh, we see that he did confront his sons uh, as they are not only stealing from the people, but they're also uh, having, uh, I'll just say this, bad relations uh, outside of what God set up. Uh, with with other women, uh, with women who were there to serve in the temple. And so here they are sleeping around, they're stealing. And uh, of course, we know that God won't allow sin to continue to abound. Uh, while he is a gracious and merciful God, he is also righteous and just. And so God and his uh, judgment here, we see that he brings judgment upon Israel. And so as the ark was taken out into battle against the Philistines, and Eli's boys are out there, uh, they are defeated. The boys are killed. The Ark of the Covenant is taken away. Here was the place the people held on to, that this was how God communicated to them. This was how God was showing up. And so whenever the Ark was there, they, Israel took great confidence that God was there and God was on their side. So now here the Ark had been taken away. And so the Philistines had had it. And so Eli, when he gets word, a messenger sends word to him um, that, uh, that not only has his boys uh, died, but also the Ark of the Covenant had been taken away and fallen into enemy hands. And the Philistines had it. And the Bible says that he fell backwards off of his chair and, uh, and he broke his neck and he died. And, uh, and so now you have a picture of this. You have uh, Eli and his boys the ones who are supposed to be, quote, running uh, the sacrifices and, and coming to God, they're no longer there. So who steps in? Well, Samuel does, right? Samuel has been groom, being groomed um, by Eli, but by God, God teaching and showing Samuel what it was that he desired. And so Samuel steps in and we start to see this, uh, this, this uncovering of this promised one from God that was provided for a special time. And so Samuel is this, is this prophet, this judge for a special time in, in Israel's life. And so as we look at this here now, um, the Philistines are still all encamped, but now they've returned the ark because God's judgment was upon them. Uh, they had all kinds of issues and, and problems. Uh, and so they brought that, or they sent that, the ark back on a cart, uh, and, uh, and it went back to Israel. So Israel now has the ark of the covenant back, but as they're looking, they continue to see um, God's hand of, of, of judgment upon them. And so we encounter that here in, in the first Samuel chapter 7. And so as we see this... Um, we see the blessing of the ark of the Lord in the house um, here of the men of Kirath uh, Jerim. And then we see Samuel. Verse 3 says, Samuel said to all the household of Israel, and he's going to call them to something. He wants them to reflect, he wants them to look 
not at just what's before them, the fact that the Philistines are all around them. The Philistines have, have actually taken over parts of Israel's territory. He's calling them to look where. Let's look at it. Verse 3 says, Samuel says to all of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth and from among you um, and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So there's this call to, to listen. If you're really serious, Samuel's saying to the, the people of Israel, if you're really serious about serving God, then put away all your false gods and you pursue him wholeheartedly with all of who you are. And so there's this challenge, set aside these things that, that, that you know are not true. If the Lord is true and you're willing to serve him, then you need to put these other things aside and you pursue him with all your heart. So it says, verse 4, so the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Asherah and they served the Lord only. And so we see the, the people here as they are reflecting there's a there's an adjustment right there's a change and part of that change is now we're going to put these things aside that we know are not helpful to us that don't help us in in serving and focusing on the one true living god and in fact we've relied upon them to deliver us and look where it's gotten us and so here in verse five Samuel says, hey, let's all get together. Let's gather all of Israel and Mizpath, and I will pray to the Lord for you. Meaning this, as we examine our life, it's not just good enough to set things aside. All right? I don't know if you've done this before in your New Year's resolutions. I know a lot of people don't even do them anymore because you failed so many times. I get it. I understand. But, you know, in our New Year's resolutions, sometimes we'll say, well, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. In reality, like a day go by and then another days go by and uh, I haven't exercised, but I'm starting next week and then the next week comes and then pretty soon you're in February and you're starting February and you're like, you know what? After Valentine's Day, I'm going to stop eating all candy and sugar, you know, and then Valentine's Day comes and you're like, well, I'm going to start exercising when spring break starts, right? And so we just keep pushing it off and pushing it off and we have these good intentions and I think Samuel is really drawing the people to help them to understand, hey, this is not just good intentions here. This is a call to action. And so he's gathering the people together. And as he gathers, gathers them, he says, and I will pray to the Lord for you, doing the very thing that God has, has set him there to do. And so as he does that, they gather together at Misfad, verse 6. They drew water, they poured it out before the Lord, and they fasted on that day. And they said this, we have sinned against the Lord. There's three things that I, I want to challenge you with and three statements that we'll see that we, that we see here in the, the text. And the first is this, as we reflect, the reality is, is we have sinned against the Lord. You've sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. And that needs to be our starting point. That's, that's where we have to come before a holy and a just and righteous God and to admit and say, yes, I have sinned against you, Lord. When David commits his great sin against Bathsheba, he says, I've committed that sin against you, Lord. And we would look at that and say, well, he murdered Bathsheba's wife. How could he say that? Because David knew he, who he was most accountable to. When you look at your life, who are you most accountable to? 
yeah, as a husband, I am accountable to my wife. Uh, as a dad, I'm accountable to my children. But who am I most accountable to? It's the living God who placed me and made me and put me here on this earth. He is holy, righteous in all that he is. Every part of him. There is no wrong. I love what James says. There's no shifting of shadows. It's not like God changes his mind or does things differently where he, he tries to woo us or, or uh, you know, persuade us in, in a wrong way. No, his loving kindness endures forever and he is perfect and his grace and mercy are beautiful, but he's also just and he does not sin and he can't look upon sin, but we, you and me, we are sinners and we sin every day. I remember when I was young, I don't even know how it all happened, but I remember sitting at the dining room table, probably elementary age. And I remember sitting there thinking, I had a really good day today. And I started thinking through and I'm like, I don't, I don't think I sinned today, God. And it was just like that mom came through and she said something and it like, in one way it was deflating in other ways it helped me later on in my life because it helped me to see, no, I had sinned earlier. Mom brought notice of it. All right. Which moms are great at doing, right? They help humble us and teach us and grow us. But I remember just that pride, just that pride itself of sitting at that dining room table by myself thinking, I'm not that bad. I think I did pretty good today, Lord. And I'm not saying it's not bad. It's bad to, for us to, to, to say, Lord, thank you for allowing us when different trials or different temptations come that he gives us the grace to be able to work through those in a God-honoring way. But, but we've got to, again, ultimately realize where, where does that grace come from? How do we get to that point? It is, it is our Lord and maker who is perfect, and he's the one who extends grace to us. He's the one who gives us great mercy and forgiveness. And so as we start this year, this isn't a hellfire and brimstone message. Um, it, this is really a call for us to realize once again, though, that, that you and I, we're, we're all sinners. And there's no way around it. And while you may not have sinned from midnight till now, at some point you're going to sin this year. I know I've already sinned. And part of it, the worst part is, is it's my pride. And so when we look at this, this call of gathering, this call as they get together, the, the, the people of Israel proclaim this, Lord, we have sinned against you. And so when you reflect and you look at your life, are you willing to admit that? Because I think that's the starting point. That's where we have to begin as we reflect and look at it. It's not that we stay there, but we need to see our sin for what it is. Filthy, yucky, disgusting, because our good works are like filthy rags. So what does the sin of our lives look like? So we look at this and we need to confess and we need to repent. You know, repentance isn't a word that people like to use today. Repent. 
You know, that kind of sounds like the 1800s, right? Go and repent. Repentance is critical for us as we walk with Jesus Christ because repentance means that I'm going this direction and I'm turning from it and I will move in the opposite direction. If this is my sin, I'm going to turn from it. I'm not just going to say, yeah, Lord, I sinned. I'm going to turn from it in repentance and go in opposition of it. And so while you may struggle with with uh, uh, some kind of abuse or substance abuse or addiction, uh, confessing it and saying, Lord, this is wrong. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I should not have drank this or used this or watched this or looked at this. That's only half of the, the move. The other half in that repentance and confession is to turn from that and to say, Lord, would you help me? Would you help me to not go back to that? Like a dog returns to its vomit. Why would we want to return back to something that is so disgusting and filthy before God? The truth is, we like sin. That's why we do it. I don't like saying that. My donuts aren't that bad. But really, let, let's, let's be honest. Again, saying to God, God, I messed up. Well, that's, that's the starting point. You can't just say that that's good enough. Turn from your sin. Do the things that God desires as a Christ follower where we live out that fruit, the fruit of the spirit. We allow the spirit of God to work in us and through us. So we do confess our sin. Why? Because he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. But as we look at the New Testament and the disciples who followed Jesus, it wasn't just about this confession. It isn't just in the Old Testament, these people who had great faith, who, who followed Jesus, that they said all the right words. No, it was their actions. It was their life that was lived that displayed the love of God. And so repentance is that pendulum where we take, I confess, I admit that I'm a sinner, God, and I need your forgiveness. I need your help. And in doing that, Lord, would you please help me? And so I'm going to set up these boundaries. I'm going to put these parameters around my life so that, so that I don't return back to what I know is against you, God. And so that's this call, the call to throw away your false idols, to set aside your false idols. And so the people acknowledge and say, Lord, we've sinned against you. And so we've cast these things to the side. Then we continue. We see um, verse 7. When the Philistines heard the people of Israel gathered in Mizpah, the Lord of the Philistines went up to Israel. When all the people, when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Verse 8. The people of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. You know, as we reflect and look at life, what, what a huge reminder for us that it is, it is 
crying out to the Lord our God. The, the phrase here is this, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us. They're asking Samuel, please keep going on our behalf to God that he may hear you. Why? That he may save us. That he would spare us from the Philistines. Because they're, they're fearful of what's going on around them. Were they rightfully fear, fearful? In some ways, yes. Why? Because they had abandoned God. They had abandoned their faith in God. They had turned to other gods. And so there is that healthy fear as we turn our back on God that we deal with the consequences of that period in time. But the beauty of our God is that he doesn't leave us all by ourselves to fight those battles. The people of Israel cry out or, or call to Samuel to keep crying out to God that he would save them. Notice who is the one who is doing the action here. While Samuel is praying and the people are surely praying, it is God who saves them. It is God, the Lord our God, who is the one who delivers them. And so we have the privilege as we cry out to the one who hears, he is the one who can do something. While we need to take those steps needed in order to make sure that we repent and turn from our sin, that we walk and strive to live a holy life, it is God who works around us. I think we have a small faith. That's why I, I will challenge us and challenge myself as we face this new 2023. Because I think as we live in the Western Hemisphere, as we live in, in America today, I think our faith is so small and so minute. Now that, that isn't to just make us feel bad. The beauty of it is, is it, if our faith is small as a mustard seed, we can move mountains, right? And so in that, God desires to grow us and to, to do things that we could only begin to imagine. And as we look at this, though, it's the crying out to him that he would do the saving, that he would do the work. And so as we reflect, we see how he's provided in the past. We have seen his goodness and his faithfulness. We've seen his forgiveness. We've seen the evidence of his grace and his mercy. So as we cry out now and in the days ahead, will God abandon us? Surely he won't. That doesn't mean he won't allow us to walk through consequences of our sin. Or that he won't allow us to walk through somebody else's consequence of their sin. Because that's a big problem that we have in our world. We deal with the consequences of sin. It's not just my sin, but my sin affects you and your sin affects me. And other people's sin affects what our world looks like. As our world has turned from Christian to post-Christian, we deal with the sins of men. While they may not be our sin... We see the evidence of it, and some of it we have to work through those consequences. Israel did that. We see that in the New Testament. As the church is blossoming and, and growing, the world wasn't just a much happier, better place with, with uh, you know butterflies and unicorns and all that flying around in the New Testament. 
Sometimes we think, oh, it was such a beautiful place and such a beautiful, if I could only go back then and my faith would be so genuine and real. No. We've lived in a land that has been shown great grace and mercy. But we live and we're living and we're encountering a world that is changing. That is moving away from God and the biblical standards that God has given us. And so as we do that, it causes us to continue to cry out to God and yet allow him to work. Him to deliver. Him to provide. So here's the story then. Verse 10, as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. And they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Misphat and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below as Bethkar. Who did the confusion? The Lord did that. Sometimes I feel like we read these stories of the Bible and they're just that. They're just stories, right? They're just, oh, that's a great story of how God worked or how God provided. We fail to look and to say, you know what? That same God of the, of the Old Testament and even of the New Testament is the same God that you and I worship here today. Do you believe that? Do you take hold of that? Do you trust that God to work out what his will and his desire is for you? That as you're crying out to him, that, that you can trust whatever plan that he has? It's a challenge and it's hard. I love what, uh, what Samuel tells the people here in verse 12. It says, then Samuel took a stone and he set it up between Misphat and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. Not Ebenezer Scrooge, okay? Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. This word Ebenezer means this. It's called the stone of help. The stone of help. That's what it means. And so he takes this stone, this rock, and he places it here. And he says, listen, this is us confessing that God has helped us. God's provided for us. And we can continue to place our faith and trust in him. This is a reminder, our Ebenezer, as we've said it here. The third aspect that I'd love for you to take with you today as you reflect is this. Till now, the Lord has helped us. In, in the old King James, uh, it says, hitherto, all right, which is kind of a, a cool way of saying, I know we don't talk like that anymore, but it's, it's one of those words that, uh, that causes you to pause and to look back, but it's also looking at the present. And actually, the, this term, these two words um, could be taken uh, spatially, meaning as far as this spot so what Samuel is saying, as far as this spot, God has, has been faithful. God has provided. He's been our help. Could be when you look at the distances. Or maybe it was uh, to, to include their lives. 
all along or as long as we stand here today, God has been faithful. God has helped us. They've cried out to God for his help and God has helped them. When we reflect and we look at our lives, I love the beauty of that word hitherto because it causes us to pause. And I think it caused Israel to pause and to look back and just look at the past and to say, you know what? God has helped us. When you look at your life, can you, can you say that? Can you admit that? Can you acknowledge that? Would you acknowledge that God has helped you in the past? Amen. Somebody said to me a few weeks ago um, that, that we need to be a little bit more vocal here. You say amen whenever you want to, okay? Amen. He has helped us in the past. But as you sit here today and you think about just your life in this very moment, do you see how God has helped you? God allowed you to get up today. You're breathing. You're living. You're here to worship him. In this very present moment, you see how God has helped you. And then when we look to the future, hitherto to this point, as far as we are right here at this very point, God has helped us, which leads that kind of question mark. What's the future look like? Is it contingent upon God to keep his end of the deal? Well, let me tell you something. God has never, he has never failed in keeping his end of the deal. You know that? Do you believe that? Or do you hold something against God because it didn't turn out your way in the way that you envisioned it or the way that you thought it should go? That's where bitterness sits in, right? Where we fail to see God's view of things and where we hold it only to our view and our glasses, where I say, Lord, I'm upset and mad because this didn't turn out the way it was supposed to. It's okay to grieve times. It's not okay to, to allow bitterness to set in. Because bitterness sets in when I think that I know what's right and what's best. And that God made a mistake. The God that I read in the Bible and the God that I believe never makes a mistake. Does your God make a mistake? Because the God of this Bible will never make a mistake. Which allows us, as we think about the future and we re reflect about the future and what is to come, as we view and examine our lives and we continue to eradicate, eradicate the, the sin that easily can creep in and the sin that can weigh us down, as we seek to to turn from that and asking for God's forgiveness. As we pursue him, crying out to him, Lord, would you do something great? Lord, would you provide for me? Would you protect me? That in the future, as we live for him, we can see him continually helping us. And so we can set our stone of help, our Ebenezer and say, God has been faithful. God has been good. Lord, help me to continue to keep my eyes fixed on you. 
I'd love to say that Israel got it all right here. But actually, the problem is, is that as you move forward uh, through this, uh, this story part of chapter 7, but in chapter 8 and then chapter 9, Israel gets upset because they don't have a king like all the other nations. They need a king to lead them so that as they go into battle, that they can have a leader who will, who will help deliver them. God wasn't sufficient enough for them anymore. They rejected the Lord. Chapter 8, it says that. Lord said to Samuel, verse 7, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So let me just warn you, while we stand and we sit here today, and as we reflect, it's good to cry out to God. It's good to set our Ebenezer to say, till now the Lord has helped me. But don't you stop looking to him. Don't you stop asking for his help. Don't you stop depending and trusting on him. This is an ongoing, nonstop, continual relationship that God desires to have with us. And when we set our eyes and we fix our eyes and we turn other places besides him, as we look at our world, there are many distractions. Amen? Don't get distracted with them. Keep the main thing the main thing. That's why we're going to talk about what it looks like to be a faith-driven steward in the weeks ahead. We've got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. How do you do that? Well, you do some of that right where you're at, surrounding yourself with other believers who can encourage you and help you. But it takes your time in the word, you personally meeting with God Spending time in his word and praying and talking to him. He desires to be right there with you. Even in desert times where it feels like he's abandoned us, he has not and nor will he ever. God is there. So, you have this reflection. You may not like what you see in the mirror. Or maybe you take this and you put a filter on it so that as your reflection shows, it looks better than what it is. Don't do that. Don't put a filter on. God already knows you. He knows exactly who you are. And he loves you in spite of whatever you've done Wherever you've been, he desires for you to walk with him. To experience that fount of blessing. Because we can set our Ebenezer up and say, Lord, thank you for helping me. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that we can come to your word and come before you and we can look in the mirror, we can look in the water, the pond, we can 
stoop down and see our reflection and Lord, see ourselves in the way that you see us. Open our eyes that we can truly do that, that we can, we can be honest with ourselves in your midst. And that we can proclaim and say, Lord, we, I've, I've sinned against you. Help us to confess that and to repent and turn from the, our sin. Help us to be quick to do that. Lower our walls of pride and arrogance and help us to be dependent upon you. Because, Lord, we cry out to you, the Lord, our God, Yahweh, the one who's created us, the one who is above all things. We cry to you that you may hear us, that you may do something. And work on our behalf. And Lord as we think about the past. And the very present of where we are. And as we think even of this new year ahead of us. May we not forget. May we set our Ebenezer there. And not walk away from it as Israel did. They forgot how you went on their behalf. And you defeated the Philistines. They felt like they needed a king. Someone in the flesh who could work for them or deliver them. Lord, it takes faith to trust you. Because we can't always see you. We see evidences at times all around us. We have your spirit inside of us who loves us and cares for us. Who guides us. Who speaks to us. But Lord we can't always see. And that's why I believe you told us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. So help us to do that in the year ahead. That we may not become distracted. That we would not turn away from the faith. Lord your word tells us at the end times there's going to be a great falling away. Lord, I pray that that wouldn't be us. I pray that that wouldn't happen to the people here at this church and the churches of our area. That we would stay strong and stay faithful to continually pursuing you and pursuing what you desire for our lives as we live out your word. Lord, as we sing this song, may it be a reflection, a true reflection of our hearts. That you are our Messiah. The one who has not only saved us from our sin, but, but gives us the great joy of a heaven home. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the great privilege of living for you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.